I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello. And welcome to 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt, hello, and Stephen Murray. Hello. Stephen, we are using this podcast as a tax write-off for your... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're not in the Maldives again, are we? (laughs) For your your career. No, we're not. This podcast essentially is about trawling through all of the robot films between 1927 and 1977 and seeing if any of the robots are any good or if they're all shit. Because 1927 and 1977 are years that have films with two gorge robots in, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. Maria and C-3PO. Yes, Metropolis and Star Wars. And and in our journey, in our odyssey, we're in 1967. We have just watched the film The Terranauts. And lo and behold, if you were to shove the old telly box on in 1967, if you lived in Great Britain, you would have seen an episode of the Avengers with a robot in called Return of the Cybernauts. So we thought we'd have a chat about that. But then you pointed out that there was uh, an episode a few years earlier that this is the sequel of, isn't it? Yeah, the Cybernauts. Yeah. So there was an episode in 1965 called the Cybernauts. Then in 1967, there was the uh, Return Return of the Cybernauts. Yeah. And then in 1976... The Last of the Cybernauts. The Last of the Cybernauts. All Avengers or New Avengers episodes. So in this episode, we're going to get in our little time machine and we're going to travel from 1967, which is where we are, and we're going to go back in time to 1965 so that we can chat about the Cybernauts. But it's probably worth just setting up the Avengers, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting kind of series that evolved out of uh, a different series called Police Surgeon. And it was a bit of a boring kind of premise. He was a police surgeon and and this character of Steed would come in and they'd, and they'd solve things. And it, and it had its star Ian Hendry. Is a police surgeon sort of a medical position? Have no idea. Hang on, I'm going to Google it. Go in. Go on. Go on, son. Police surgeons provide medical care and undertake examinations of persons detained in police custody ah. and examine some victims of crime. Now, how can that how can that be boring? I think that sounds really interesting for a TV series now. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, anyway, re- it was boring. <laughs> Yeah. And they needed a, they needed a rewrite and a reshake, uh, or else it's going to get cancelled. And they brought in Honor Blackman, right, who played Kathy Gale okay. for a couple of seasons. Then she left to become Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. Right. So and she then, she didn't just take a sabbatical. She left the series. She left the series. She she came in, and then the series became quite surreal when she came in began to move towards this odd kind of... Uh, they're, they're, they're both a pair of characters that seem to work for a, a British kind of agency, agents, and uh, but they never give away who they work for. They just pop up, and they seem to have access to an awful lot of things that anyone else wouldn't. 
Yes. And then, then Honor Blackman started to wear these outfits towards the end, which were like uh, all-in-one suits and leather. Yeah. Which Diana Rigg would take up, um, who played Emma Peel. So Honor Blackman left to become uh, Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. Yeah. In Goldfinger, the Bond movie. Yeah. And, and then in The Avengers, she was replaced by Diana Rigg. Yeah. But not, not not the character. She Diana Rigg wasn't playing the same character. It was two no, different no, characters. Two different characters, and they yeah. kind of they have a crossover, especially when Diana Rigg left and Linda Thorson came in. There was this crossover where they both sort of passed each other. Okay, which was really interesting. So Diana Rigg came in and created the uh, the iconic Avengers, and her outfits got even more wonderful. A lot of outfits by Paco Rabanne and lots of top designers from the 60s. But then she wore these cat suits and she made the cat suit famous. So she brought in this aesthetic and also the surreal the surreal feel of the program was upped a couple of notches. And then she left to become Tracy Bond in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's right. She marries Bond, doesn't she? She does. Okay, so the episode that we're dealing with is a Diana Rigg episode, isn't it? Yes. The Cybernauts. The Cybernauts. And The Cybernauts is season four of The Avengers, episode three. Yes. So the the, uh, the episode was directed by Sidney Havers, written by Philip Levine, produced by Bl- Brian Clemens and Julian Wintle. So Brian Clemens was an incredibly prolific writer of TV series and some uh, movies. He was, uh, was recognised by the 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 Danzinger brothers, who we know of yes. from uh, Devil, Devil Girl from, Girl Mars. from Mars, yeah, and he was brought in to write a lot of their uh, movies, their B movies, and then he went on to write his own TV programs and became massively successful throughout the seventies and into the eighties. And he was the he was the creator of the New Avengers. Another key member of the Avengers personnel uh, off screen is Laurie Johnson, who composed uh, the music. Uh, yes. And Laurie Johnson passed away quite recently. He did. He died uh, January the sixteenth of this year, age ninety six. And he was uh, that that the theme music from the Avengers is always makes me feel incredibly nostalgic and incredibly excited. (laughs) I hear that piece of music, and it's deeply, deeply important to me. That piece of music. You like a dog. Yes, it's Pavlov's dogs when I start (laughs) quivering and slavering and I crawl on the couch and stare at the telly. (laughs) But he did the the, uh, soundtrack for Dr. Strangelove, Stanley Kubrick's 1964 film. Right. Uh, He did The First Men in the Moon, which is another wonderful film that I absolutely love. And he did Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter in 1972, which is a very underrated Hammer film. It's all very big orchestra, isn't it? Yes, he he was a big orchestra guy. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So the cast of the Cybernauts is pretty impressive as well. Um, Mm. So aside from having Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg, the villain is played by Michael Goff, um, who plays Dr. Clement Armstrong. Michael Goff, you will definitely know his face. I suppose not least more recently because he played Alfred in the Tim Burton Batman films all, and the Joel Schumacher uh, Batman film as well. The other lovely surprise in the cast was to see Bert Kwok in. Yes. Bert Kwok, who I remember from the Pink Panther films. There's a time and a place for everything, Kato. 
I thought the opening of this was great. Oh, it's brilliant. The story is sort of briefly that Michael Goff plays the character Dr. Clement Armstrong, who has created a few robot assassins, and he uses them to go and wipe out the competition. He's, he's pitching for a contract with a Japanese company um, who have built new circuit elements that will replace the transistor. And Burt Kwok plays um, the, the the boss of that company. Going to make computers the size of a cigarette box. Yeah, it's so lovely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so Dr. Clement Armstrong wants a piece of this action. In fact, he wants all of the action. All of it. And so he decides he's going to bump off all his competitors. Um, and each one is murdered by this karate chopping uh, <laughs> robot assassin. <laughs> so Steed and Emma Peel are alerted to the fact that some sort of high profile business people have been have been murdered and have got to try and try and find out what's going going on. Um and at some point of course they get so involved that Dr. Clement Armstrong decides he's got to eliminate them. And this is where you get this element that every time one of them is killed, they just turn up. Yeah. Yeah. They do. <laughs> in there's no police, there's no, never no, any police nothing. out there. They're often in first early... on the scene. In earlier episodes, they they would have their little catchphrases, as he would say, "Mrs. Peel, when needed," uh, and or it would be it would have been a note on her door or something like that, and that was a catchphrase in quite a few of the episodes, and then then it kind of dropped off. But they just turn up, and it's yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit strange, and, and nobody seems to stop them. No. There's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of weird things that go on, isn't there? It's like that. It's like the, there is no police force in no. in this in the world that is. There's inhabited. just ministries. Yeah, because in in one of the other episodes, one of the the scientist characters has to be guarded by sort of AK forty seven toting <laughs> men in suits. That's a big think, machine gun. Come on, that's that's a bit weird. So I mean, that's sort of like it, we are living in a sort of like a, an alternate reality, I suppose. Yeah, we? and even though this is England, every one of these people who's being pursued by a cybernaut has a gun in a drawer. Yes, <laughs> that is useless. Yeah, it's useless against useless. them. Yeah, in many ways, it reminds me a bit. It, not not in the story, but maybe in the tone and the slightly surreal quality to it of something like The Prisoner. Yeah, very much so. The Prisoner was uh, 1967, but The Man from Uncle was 1965, and Mission Impossible was 1966, and both of those were heavily influenced by The Avengers. Do you think that, does it sort of play into the idea of sort of swinging London at all, do you think? Her outfits do, but they never, and and also the sets. I think the sets, um, especially in the Diana Rigg episodes, are like minimally cartoonish. Yeah. And I mean, also like the cars that they drive as well were oh, gorgeous. interesting choices. Steed like drives, is it a Rolls Royce, but a very old fashioned one? Very old Rolls Royce. And she, she just drives any sports car that they can find. Now, let's go back to the episode in hand, the Cybernauts. Dr. Cle- Clement Armstrong has created these robots. What did you think of the robots that he'd created? The cybernauts in question. Oh, awful, sinister! Uh, because of the kind of the very crude blankness of their face, that added to it when I was a kid. Yeah, and I like the idea that they're unstoppable and um, and just and just keep going. I never they, questioned anything when I was younger. I just I literally found them terrifying. 
they are terrifying, I think. And they do, a re- again, in this episode, they do a lovely job of not showing what they look like for ages and ages mm. and ages. And so the way they dispatch somebody is the noise of their arm swooshing through the air. They move in front of the person, there's a swoosh, and they move away, and the person sort of like a... And then they fall over, and that is lovely. It is lovely. Yeah, it's like a whip crack, isn't it? That, yes, it that, is. That you hear, um, which makes uh, Emma Peel and Steed think that the person might be a, a karate expert. Yes. Um, but that's a bit of a red herring because they're robots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so the robots are kind of silk. Well, it's black and white, isn't it? Yeah. This episode, so it's hard to know, but they look silver. Yeah. Uh, and like you say, they've got blank faces. There's almost no. They're sort of featureless. But uh, Doctor Armstrong dresses them in a black trench coat, a sort of black. What sort of hats are those called? It's like a small pork pie hat, isn't it? Yeah, and they wear dark glasses. <laughs> so, with no ears, with no yeah, and so they ha- they look very odd, and the, and obviously they're very tall as well. Gloves, yeah. So anyone who sees the them kind of like just says that they're very tall, a very tall person, uh, couldn't really give you a description of them. So I suppose in that way, it's probably quite a good move. But I can't help think that there must be a better way to bump off your competitors. Oh, there's so many holes like that in all three episodes it's just but it's it's kind of like it goes with the territory though of of the avengers you there is an there is an enormous platform above your head where your willing suspension of belief lives (laughs) and it's full of avengers boxes with willing suspension of belief written on them And I was quite happy to do that because I would just marinate myself in the bizarreness of the series. Yeah. So how does how does Armstrong control these robots? I've forgotten because I've seen so many episodes. Oh, that's right. So he he has put a transmitter in a pen. A pen that only ever needs refilling every ten years because it's used solid ink, and it uses a, an electronic pulse to to melt the ink. And it's a really nice idea, mm. I think. They seem to be using a lot of uh, the scientific ideas of the time and, and put them in the, the series. But he's got a transmitter in the pen. So he gives the pen to his who, the person who wants to be assassinated. Yes. And then, and, then, and then whenever he activates the robot assassin, the cybernaut, they will then just track down the pen. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that... In, in and of itself, that's problematic, isn't it? Because you're you're hoping that they'll have the pen on them at all times. Exactly. Which happens later on that Steed doesn't have the pen with him. And but also like just the very fact that this this extraordinary lumbering giant who can't move very quickly can just sort of has to travel across London. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> And he can't open doors, so if anything <laughs> gets in his way, he just smashes it. That's right. So, so he, he must be leaving a trail of debris. Yeah, like a trail of karate-chopped <laughs> things that he can't open. So, I mean, if we're going to rate this robot, which we have to, which we have to, what are we going to say for it? I mean, um, what about looks-wise? Looks-wise? Oh, you see, I'm a bit torn now 
because as a kid, I thought it looked great. Yeah, but I then again, think, we can't. It looks bad. No, it doesn't look bad. So I, I think, uh, and because of a, a level of sinister, I'm happy with three. Three, yeah, okay, that's fair. I think that's fair. What about fit for purposeness? Uh, yeah, he, well, he does the job. He does. He, he sounds does, great. The wit crack does. is good. <laughs> and also, he, he's very easily. I mean, Steed basically. There are t- in the final sort of denouement. Oh, I love that. There is a the uh, cybernaut starts attacking uh, Emma Peel, and then another cybernaut appears, which has a brain. And so Steed puts the pen in the other in the the, the cybernaut with the brain's pocket, so yeah. that the first cybernaut sort of attacks it and kills it, and they both sort of end up killing each other. And the Doctor. And the Doctor, yes. So he seems like it's quite easily it's quite easy to figure out how to overcome this. Yeah. Once you once you know once 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 you know the the way it works. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I think. I'd so still I give would, it. I would say on. two for fit for purposeness. <laughs> Even if I give it three, it's still going to be shit. <laughs> it's still a shit robot. And it's I mean it's that's maybe slightly unfair because it I I thought the look of it was great. Yeah, and once you sort of like, like as you say, once you sort of just buy into the idea that this is kind of surreal and, and odd, then I thought, yeah, okay, I'm I'm in. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I was wondering whether you'd be in on this. Yeah. On the kind of the whole aesthetic of of the Avengers and everything. Yeah, I'm not sure I enjoyed <laughs> watching three episodes, <laughs> but there is a price to pay for this podcast. So let's get back in our time machine. And move back in time, well, forwards in time to 1967, uh, which is for the return of the Cybernauts. Oh, I'm feeling a bit dizzy. <laughs> which is uh, also written by Philip Levine, who wrote the first episode. Do you know why that why they decided to come back to this story? Was it, was, it... it was the it was the most popular episode it from became... the from that series. Yeah, from it that became first really popular. Uh, uh, it had the highest ratings, right. so they decided to bring it back. So in this episode, The Return of the Cybernauts, essentially it's the same kind of story. So you've got Paul Beresford, who, unbeknownst to everybody, is the brother of Dr. Clement Armstrong and wants uh, revenge on Steed and Emma Peel. Which he so- could have gotten in the first five minutes of the programme. <laughs> could have. <laughs> And and so he has kind of like like restarted up the Cybernaut program in order to get his revenge on them, but it's quite convoluted, isn't it? Because as you say, like so, so at the beginning of the story, Paul Beresford, played by Peter Cushing, is entertaining Steed and Emma Peel. So he's he's sort of like he's in their sort of friendship circle. Yeah, not least because he's got an outrageous selection of clarets. Yes, he does. <laughs> that Steve and Steed absolutely can't help himself. Just loves to tuck into a claret, which makes you think that. I mean, he could have got revenge by poisoning some claret or something. Well, he could have. He also could have bludgeoned Emma Peel with one of his busts. Because <laughs> <laughs> Steed is there for the claret, and Emma Peel is there for the art. Yeah, she loves the art in his flat, doesn't she? Yeah. 
Um, Flat. It's a it's a beautiful big house, isn't it? No, oh, is it? I, can, I mean, yeah. the interior doesn't match the exterior, does it? I no, suppose. the interior doesn't, because again, it's that car sort of cartoonish, minimal kind of interior. Yeah, and now because it's a, it's we're now in the in the world of color. We it's, are. It's beautiful and bright and sixties and gorgeous. It was the very first TV series that was ever filmed in color. Was it? Yes, and it wasn't aired on British TV in colour for another three years. They did it for the American market. Oh, wow. That's good. I know. I don't think he would have bludgeoned Emma Peel to death or poisoned John Steed because he uses the Cybernauts to kidnap uh, scientists. And the reason that he wants to kidnap the scientists is that he wants them, them, and he's created a little prison in his house for them with like proper bars and you know they they they're locked away he wants them to create a re- a revenge for him something that they that that peel and steed will uh, sort of have to live with for the rest of their lives and a suffer before each of you is 100,000 pounds in cash i'm prepared to double it if you are successful successful in what destroying those who killed my brother Oh, I could have hired some killers, paid assassins, but that would have been too quick, and I don't want anything quick, gentlemen. Now, he would have devised something imaginative, poetic. You are men of ideas. Produce me an idea, a new idea, a rhapsody of suffering. It's monstrous. Barbaric. Oh, Dr. Russell, I've offended you. You dissent? Dissent? I refuse, absolutely. Then you are free to go. There's the door. Also, yeah. the uh, the Cybernaut has obviously a switch that can go from kill to stun. Yes, <laughs> it can. Uh, yeah, because as you say, like none of the none of the um, the kidnappings result in death unless the scientist refuses to take part in this. In which case, death is very much on the cards. That's a very James Bond Thunderball thing, especially yeah. in the way they dispatch people with a karate chop. Yeah. Just this idea that you could, no, yes, you can go. There's the door. You're free to go. Yeah. I told you you would be. Yeah. Yeah, righty. (laughs) There's a cybernaut on the other side who karate chops you in the throat. The James Bond ones, it's just sit on this chair, (laughs) which electrocutes him and then tips over and a new chair pops up. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's very like that. You're right. So Beresford sort of maintains a pretense of friendship to Steed and Peel whilst plotting their demise. Yeah, whilst not killing them. Yeah. And eventually, um, he one of the scientists comes up with the absolute brainwave that you can kind of rewire a watch, uh, put, the, <laughs> put the watch on Steed or Peel, and they will then turn into a cybernaut. You'll be able to control them like a puppet. Now, that is Fulton McKay. He was he's very young in this. He is, and he's really you can tell when they all come in which one's gonna be the slimy one that's gonna go with it because he's got a bow tie on. <laughs> yeah. The others have got ties on and they sit there and then he hugs the money in front of him. But he was as a young man, he has, he doesn't immediately look like the prison prison officer from Porridge. No, he doesn't. <laughs> which is where I, I knew him from. <laughs> Ultimately, Beresford's plan very much goes awry 
But again, it's Peel who is, she's the one who's attacked, isn't she? He controls her using like a bracelet that he's bought for her. Yeah, a little diamond watch. And then she, and then he he controls her, but Steed hasn't put the watch on that, that has been given to him. So he's the one who's, who kind of like saves the day, as it were. Emma Peel doesn't save the day. And really. normally she does. I think to get a really good feeling for the character of Emma Peel and how strong she is for, for women at the time and women now, you've got to watch the episodes where she really does kick ass. Yeah. And come out on top. And she and uh, Brian Clement said that he wished she'd, he'd given her a, a stronger script. But I think she's equal to Steed, uh, if not if not more. She saves him as many times as he saves her. She's right. an incredible, powerful figure. Well, that's good. There are moments of that in these, but I, I, I do feel slightly that she's let down a bit in that she's always the one who has to be saved. Yeah. But speaking of female role, role models, can I just mention Rosie, who is the secretary? Amy McDonald. Amy McDonald, yeah. Ravishing blonde beauty defends her honour to the last. But I would have done. Have I got time to change? I've got a super bikini. It's ever so revealing. Do you know I've nearly been arrested twice wearing it? <laughs> <laughs> Who is... I mean, it's an extraordinary character. And, again, it's hard to know whether whether this was... I mean, was this even sort of parody at the time? Most of the secretaries, most of the women in the Avengers are not like that. Right. And I think Amy McDonald was quite famous at the time. And anybody watching it, and, and as soon as the pa- camera pans around and sees her at the desk, everyone would go, oh, it's Amy McDonald. Because okay. she was kind of a comedy actress at right. the time. That makes, that makes more sense of it. Yeah. And you've got, to, you've got to understand that the carry-on movies were in full swing as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that they were an influence on the Avengers, but that kind of thing comes yeah. in. In the end, Beresford is dispatched. Uh, by the cybernauts again it's another one where the cybernaut sort of is the demise of the cybernautic creator yeah oh yeah they break his back don't they? yeah it? and i tell you what i thought then i thought blimey old cushing he can really do a good death he can do you know what is very similar to his 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 death at the hands of frankenstein in the in the hammer film that revived the franchise right which well, I mean, the, the, ridiculously, nineteen fifty nine. I think the Cybernauts are not not un Frankenstein-y. No, exactly. We'll we'll always we'll always have that similarity, won't we? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. The other nice thing about this episode, I thought, was the the sort of the slightly comic coda to it. There's a scene at the end which is totally un- unconnected to what's been going on, but Steed fixes Emma Peel's toaster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then the toast... precursor to technology entering the home. Yeah, he fixes the toaster so well that the toast pings out and then goes straight through the roof. No, the toast is left on the table, and it's the toaster that goes through the roof. Oh, the toast. That's right. Yeah, with uh, and so then Steed is able to say, "At least Great Britain's got one thing in orbit," or something like that, isn't he? <laughs> And I know what that's a reference to. Go on. It might be a reference to the British Space Development Company and Blue Streak, which was uh, Britain's attempt at uh, joining the space race that kind of like petered out. 
uh, <laughs> after a couple of failures. You don't want your rockets to peter out, do you? You don't. You don't. You don't. Blue Streak is a terrible name as well. For it is a bit, isn't it? Rocket, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, now we've got to get in our, our time machine once again oh, uh, oh. and travel all the way to the far future of 1976 when <laughs> the final, thank God, Cybernauts <laughs> episode <laughs> aired on British TV, which is called, which is, and the title is brilliant. The title of the episode is The Last of the Cybernauts, dot, 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 question mark, question mark. Oh, wow. I never even noticed that. <laughs> which is excellent. Now, I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it. I thought that apart from, you know, the, the janky bits and the sexist bits and things like that. Yeah. Um, there were some quite dark moments in it and some lovely bits. There were some lovely bits in it, yeah. I mean, so again, once again, <laughs> we've, got, we've got the villain is now called Felix Kane. Now, Felix Kane is a sort of, he's a spy that's, that's that was sort of double-crossing the spy network and that uh, Steed and uh, Purdy, so, so Peel is no more, and now we've got uh, Purdy, who is Joanna Lumley. And also, what's his name? Gammy Bit. No, sorry, Gambit. <laughs> Gambit, played by Gareth... Hunt. Gareth Hunt. Who you might... I'm, I remember from doing coffee adverts in, uh, in the 1970s and 80s. People sometimes say to me, why do you keep saying Nescafe is a blend of three types of the finest coffee beans, specially roasted? Mm, for richer, smoother flavour. There's now three of them. There's Steed, there's Purdy, there's Gambit. And right at the beginning, they all foil Felix Kane's attempt to pass on secrets. Felix Kane tries to escape in a car, but the car crashes into a, a t- an oil tanker and explodes. And uh, you think he's dead, but he's not. And so in order to get revenge, and to get another revenge story on Purdy... Gambit and uh, Steed, he reignites the, <laughs> the Cybernauts. It does. I mean, surely to God, given that the la- in the last two episodes, it's the Cybernauts that have killed the, the person controlling the Cybernauts, it would give you pause for thought, wouldn't it? Well, it would give you pause for thought. And you would have thought that this, you know, secret stash of robots underneath a burnt-out house would have been discovered by somebody. Yeah, but they weren't. They were waiting for Felix Kane. One thing I forgot to say about Felix Kane is obviously because he was in that explosion, he's been sort of very, very badly burned and so now wears a, a prosthetic face mask in order to Which, kind of conceal his burns. He's only got one arm and he's got no legs. That's right, yeah. And he's, he wears a series of masks that are changed all up depending on his mood. His mood. And we, I love that. On the line, I'm wearing my pleasure mask now, I thought was brilliant. <laughs> Which mask have I got on now? It's the bland one. Put on my happy mask. <laughs> my love. Sir. What face am I wearing? The bland one, sir. My face of pleasure, then. I wish to express my pleasure to Mr. Gough. So Felix Kane gets to become a cybernaut himself. Because as he you does. say, he's not, uh, he's, he's kind of like, he's missing an arm and, and his legs were 
taken in the explosion, but he can sort of like hook himself up to one of these cybernauts. Uh, and that's how he wants to get rid of Steed and Gambit and Purdy is to go and karate chop them himself. He wants to look in their eyes. But as a cybernaut, his outfit is quite remarkable as well. He sort of looks a little bit like he's a sort of a, a French baker or a, a painter. Dick Emery. <laughs> you are awful. But I like you. In, in the Encyclopedia of Supervillains, yes. the cybernauts are described as a powerful android with silvery skin and blank expressions. Yeah, I just wanted to get that in because there is an encyclopedia of supervillains. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So in the end, Steed, Gambit and Purdy spray him with a plastic skin. Yeah. Which kind Where of does like, that come from? I've no idea. I've literally no idea. Which clogs up his, his, uh, his sort workings. of joints and workings. We should also, uh, which we haven't done, rate the robot in the second episode because that falls within. In fact, they all fall within our remit, actually. Yeah, they do. So we oh, can nineteen seventy six. Yeah, they do. So I mean, are they all? They all? They all are all the same, essentially, aren't they? They they are. It's the same design. It's the same. Yeah. So I think we can leave out the second one, but I think we can do the cyborg in the, the third one. The the French baker cyborg. Cyborg. Yes. <laughs> okay well i mean what what for looks do we give a line, a line of cyborg cravats <laughs> what are we going to give him for the way that he looks oh I mean, it's hard isn't it i, I mean i well, could i could go with one out of five or i could go with five, out of five i know i know what you mean it's quite unique it is it is and for, with his performance as well there's definitely a lot of dr fibes going on yeah yeah and, and i think for me I, I can't get away from his 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 kicky beret and his camp outfit, but um, I, I would definitely go either three or four. Let's go. Let's split the difference and go three. Three. Yeah. And then what about his fit for purposeness? <sighs> well, his fit for purpose was he did get like all of them. He did get dispatched pretty easily, but I mean, yeah, I, I plastic skin. I mean, that's embarrassing, isn't it? It is. That, that's the but, thing that got him. At least he could get from one part of London to the other without really, you know, destroying anything or, or anybody questioning. Yeah. Apart from frightening children with his unhappy mask face on. <laughs> but also he did, he sort of had the look, his movement had the look of um, Wallace when he's wearing the wrong trousers a little bit. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought... I so what should we give him for for fit for purposeness? I want to give him a four. For me, his it's his look that I'm most excited by. I like the fact it's his evolution that I like. I like the fact that it's gone from these lumbering silver faced robots, and then he's used the technology so he can gain his own revenge and become. Well, maybe a cyborg. he's not a shit robot then. I know. I don't want him to be a shit well, robot. Well, then let's he's not. Let's let's give him a let's give him a four for the way the way he's fit for purposeness. Hey. And so he's not a shit robot. <laughs> I think anybody Excellent. who sees him there will go, what are you talking about? Question my decision. <laughs> oh, uh, dear. I've just, I've just found a little aside. Yeah. Uh, Brian Clements, when he died, just before he died, he'd watched an episode of The Avengers and he said, oh, I did quite a good job. Mm. 
and then shuffled off to Buffalo. Oh. I know, isn't that lovely? That's really nice. Do you think that when we're on our deathbeds and we look back at these podcasts, <laughs> will, we, <laughs> will we say, I think I did a good job? Apart, yeah. from, the, apart from the episode about a cybernaut. <laughs> apart from giving that cyborg a seven. <laughs> Great. We will see you next time. We have got an absolute stone-cold classic on the slate next week. We're talking, of course, of the 1968 film Barbarella. Barbarella. So if you want to watch that before next week, I can tell you I rented it, or I might even have bought it because it was only a couple of quid. on um, It's on Amazon Prime. So there you go. Watch it, and then we'll discuss it next week. The anticipation of me seeing that film was based on that my... my brothers and sisters went to see to the pictures did they and you yeah, weren't allowed they, to go no and i no it was an ex that's interesting that as as a younger sibling myself i've got a film like that that i was desperate to see but my my mum and dad would only take my sister because she was older than me and that film is greece too hey <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Okay, all right. Well, look, have a great week. We'll see you next time for some Barbarella action. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. My face of pleasure, then. I wish to express my pleasure to Mr. Guff.